Tonight, we're going to be talking about War of Liberty. And starting in Alma chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, which is um, a postlog of our last discussion and leads us into our discussion of war and liberty. And now it came to pass that the sons of Alma did go forth among the people to declare the word unto them. And Alma also himself could not rest, and he also went forth. And may I add, um, this inability of Alma to rest, and he and his sons continuing to go forth after years of faithful service, is one of the evidences that one has been born again a son or daughter of God. Over and over in the scriptures, we have examples of those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, cannot be constrained from going out and crying repentance and inviting others to also receive the baptism of fire and Holy Ghost just as they had done. You know, for example, Lehi in 1 Nephi chapter 1 receives the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and almost immediately begins going out and calling the people in the streets of Jerusalem to repentance and teaching the doctrine of Christ. Alma the Younger, he has a born-again experience, which is not just a born-again experience, but his experience with the angel and being unconscious was the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, along with the sons of Mosiah. And after they received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, they could not be constrained at going forth and teaching the doctrine of Christ. Alma, after he had the experience listening to Abinadi, and we don't have the account of his experience, but we do have the evidences of his experiences because after he left the court of wicked King Noah, as he repented, as he ascended up on the path of ascension, he was called to go back by the Lord and to also gather out those who had ears to hear and hearts to understand. Um, the 300 in Helaman chapter 5, who received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, as Nephi and Lehi were miraculously protected at the prison. So great was their spiritual conversion uh, that fire came down and angels came down and ministered, which are typical elements of a baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost experience. And they went forth and practically the entire Lamanite nation was converted. Um, Christ's 12 disciples in 3 Nephi chapter 19 receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And that period of almost millennial rest that the Nephites enjoyed um, as not only the 12 disciples but that later the rest of the people also received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. King Benjamin's people, we have the account in Mosiah chapter 4 and 5, that they received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. So, now it came to pass that the sons of Alma did go forth among the people to declare the word unto them, and Alma also himself could not rest, 
and he also went forth. Now we shall say no more concerning their preaching, except that they preach the word and the truth according to the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And they preached after the holy order of God by which they were called. Okay, first off, Alma and his sons preached by the power of prophecy and revelation, or according to the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Let's cross-reference this with Alma chapter 17. Now, not speaking of the sons of Alma, but speaking of Alma and Amulek and the sons of Mosiah, including Ammon. Verse 2. Now these sons of Mosiah were with Alma at the time the angel first appeared unto him. Therefore Alma did rejoice exceedingly to see his brethren. And what added more to his joy? They were still his brethren in the Lord. And they had waxed strong in the knowledge of the truth. For they were men of a sound understanding. And they had searched the scriptures diligently that they might know the word of God. And this is not all. They had given themselves too much prayer and fasting. Therefore, they had the spirit of prophecy and the spirit of revelation. And when they taught, they taught with power and authority of God. And may I submit that those who, like Alma and his brethren, who desired to be servants of God, and so... They applied themselves diligently to the studying of Scripture and to prayer and to fasting. Therefore, they had the spirit and gift of prophecy and of revelation, precisely uh, the same way that Alma's sons also acquired the spirit of prophecy and revelation and were able to, like their father and his companions, go forth and also teach by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And this is what God requires if one desires to be a servant. There is a price to be paid. And relating to that price, verses 4 and 5 in Alma 17, and they had been teaching the word of God for the space of 14 years among the Lamanites having had much success in bringing many to the knowledge of the truth. Yea, by the power of their words, many were brought before the altar of God to call on his name and confess their sins before him. Now these are the circumstances which attended them in their journeys. For they had many afflictions, and they did suffer much, both in body and in mind, such as hunger and thirst and fatigue, and also much labor in the spirit. And may I submit the sons of Alma, had to go through the exact same thing. And so must we. Now, they preached after the holy order of God. Let's cross-reference Alma chapter 3. Pardon me. I mean, I meant Alma 13. Alma 13. And again, my brethren, I would cite your minds forward to the time when the Lord God gave these commandments unto his children. And I would that you should remember 
that the Lord God ordained priests after his holy order, which was after the order of his son to teach these things unto the people. And those priests were ordained after the order of his son in a manner that thereby the people might know in what manner to look forward to his son for redemption. Now, the holy order is an order of the Melchizedek priesthood. The second order of Melchizedek priesthood, priesthood to be specific, the patriarchal order of Melchizedek priesthood. Now, this order only exists within the church of the firstborn. And this order was restored through Joseph Smith on June 4th, 1831 at the Isaac Morley farm. And so from June 4th, 1831 until about the death of Joseph Smith, you know, we had two different orders of the gospel on the earth. And one of those was the holy order, uh, which is part of the church of the firstborn. And those priests in that order are high priests in the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood. Um, this order of the priesthood is also talked about in DNC 76. And if we go to DNC 76, and this is the order of things that a man must go through to become a member of the Holy Order. First, in verse 51, receive baptism by water by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood into the terrestrial church of Christ. That same order of the priesthood that Christ restored to the Nephites in 3 Nephi chapter 11. Being distinguished from that order of the gospel and order of the priesthood that they held previously that Nephi was going forth and baptizing by water with, as we read about in 3 Nephi chapter 1 and 3 Nephi chapter 7. Verse 52, that by keeping the commandments, they might be washed and cleansed from all their sins and receive the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands of him who is ordained and sealed unto this power. Now, this is not confirmation into a church order. This is the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and must be performed by a man who has been ordained and sealed to this power. The first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the apostolic order. And it was in 3 Nephi 11 that Christ ordained his 12 disciples to this order of the priesthood. But it wasn't until 3 Nephi chapter 18, the last few verses of the chapter, that Christ touches his disciples with his hand and seals that order of the priesthood upon them and gives them the commission to now go forth and baptize with fire and with the Holy Ghost. Verse 53. Then, and who overcome by faith and are sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, which the Father sheds forth upon all those who are just and true, they are they who are the church of the firstborn. Well, what does that mean? After the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, as the words of Christ are placed into our hearts, if we will feast upon the words of Christ, we will be instructed in all things that we should do to part the veil and enter into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And there, be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, who is Christ. Or in other words, he will make our calling election sure. And then, we are a member of the church of the firstborn. Now, this experience with Christ um, is not to see him in a vision. 
This experience with Christ is not even to have him come down and minister to us here like he did to his 12 apostles, like he did to the Nephites in 3 Nephi 11. This is to go into the seventh heaven or to the high mountain, not the earthly mountain, but the heavenly mountain, just as Moses did in Moses chapter 1 and just as Nephi did in 1 Nephi chapter 10 actually going into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And then one can have the calling election made sure, be sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise, and become a member of the church of the firstborn. Now, all of this is a prerequisite to entering into the holy order. And just because one is a member of the church of the firstborn does not mean one is yet part of the holy order. Verse 56. They are they who are priests and kings who have received of his fullness and of his glory and are priests of the Most High after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten son. Wherefore, as it is written there, God's little G, even the sons of God, big G. Now, this is what it means to become part of the holy order. And this order of the priesthood is the order of father and only father can give this order of the priesthood and only he can seal it. Um, This is also the order of the priesthood. You know, it's talked about in many places in the scriptures, but one of them is GST Genesis 14 verse 29. And it was delivered the patriarchal order of the Melchizedek priesthood. Remember, Joseph received it on June 4th, 1831, but it took him 12 years to have it sealed upon him, not until 1843. For God, having sworn unto Enoch and unto his seed with an oath by himself, that everyone being ordained after this order and calling should have power by faith to break mountains, to divide the seas and dry up waters, to turn them out of their course, to put at defiance the armies of nations, to divide the earth, to break every band, to stand in the presence of God, to do all things according to his will, according to his command, subdue principalities, powers, and this by the will of the Son of God, which was from before the foundation of the world. And men having this faith coming up unto this order of God were translated and taken up into heaven. And now Melchizedek was a priest of this order, Therefore, he obtained peace in Salem and was called the Prince of Peace. And his people wrought righteousness and obtained heaven and sought for the city of Enoch, which God had before taken, separating it from the earth, having received it unto himself, having reserved it unto the latter days or the end of the world. Now, remember for the end of our discussion that. It began with talking about the holy order because uh, this is uh, this is why what happened to Alma happened to Alma. Verse two. Now we shall say no more concerning their preaching, except that they preached the word and the truth according to the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And they preached after the holy order of God by which they were called. So we know the experiences that Alma and his sons have had. 
They've received baptism by water into the terrestrial order of the gospel. They've received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. They've parted the veil and have come into Christ's presence in his glory. And then they've been presented to Father. And he has conferred upon them the order of his priesthood. Verses 6 through 8. And now as the Amalekites were of a more wicked and murderous disposition than the Lamanites, in and of themselves, therefore Zarahemna appointed chief captains over the Lamanites, and they were all Amalekites and Zoramites. And this he did that he might preserve their hatred toward the Nephites, that he might bring them into subjection to the accomplishment of his designs. Now, as we go through these chapters and these verses, look at the juxtaposition between the motivations and the desires of those who sought to bring others unto bondage and those who stood against tyranny in defense of freedom. So they were motivated by hatred and sought to bring the Nephites into subjection. For behold, his designs were to stir up the Lamanites to anger against the Nephites. This he did that he might usurp great power over them and also that he might gain power over the Nephites by bringing them into bondage. Now verses 9 through 13. Now the design of the Nephites was to support their lands and their houses, their wives and their children that they might preserve them from the hands of their enemies, and also that they might preserve their rights and privileges, yet also their liberty, that they might worship God according to their desires. So instead of being motivated and inspired by hate and subjugation, the Nephites were inspired by supporting their land of liberty, their homes, their families, their rights and privileges and their liberty and their ability to worship God according to the dictates of their hearts. Verse 10, for they knew that if they should fall into the hands of the Lamanites, that whosoever should worship God in spirit and in truth and true, the true and living God, the Lamanites would destroy. Yea, they also knew the extreme hatred of the Lamanites toward their brethren, who were the people of Anti-Nephi-Lehi, who were called the people of Ammon. And they would not take up arms. Yea, they had entered into a covenant that they would not break it. Therefore, if they should fall into the hands of the Lamanites, they would be destroyed. And the Nephites would not suffer that they should be destroyed. Therefore, they gave them lands for their inheritance. So, not only were the Nephites not inspired by hatred and subjugation, um, but they were interested not only in freedom for themselves, but in freedom for all those who would join the people of God and participate with them in the celebration of their God and in freedom. And verse 13, and the people of Ammon did give unto the Nephites a large portion of their substance to support their armies, and thus the Nephites were compelled 
alone to a stand against the Lamanites, who were a compound of Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael, and all those who had descended from the Nephites, who were Amalekites and Zoramites, and the descendants of the priests of Noah. Verse 16. Now the leader of the Nephites, or the man who had been appointed to be the chief captain over the Nephites, now the chief captain took command of all the armies of the Nephites, and his name was Moroni. Verse 24. And it came to pass that the word of the Lord came unto Alma, and Alma informed the messengers of Moroni that the armies of the Lamanites were marching round about in the wilderness, that they might come over into the land of Manti, that they might commence an attack upon the weaker part of the people. And those messengers went and delivered the message unto Moroni. And verse 26, and he caused that all the people in that quarter of the land should gather themselves together to battle against the Lamanites, to defend their lands, their country, their rights, and their liberties. Therefore, they were prepared against the time of the coming of the Lamanites. And we read these accounts not just for its historicity, but because of the times that we are now in and the times in which we are finding or we'll find ourselves in where we will also either defend our rights, our liberties, our freedom, our right to worship, or we will lose them. Verse 29. And now as Moroni knew that the intention of the Lamanites, that it was their intention to destroy their brethren or to subject them and bring them into bondage, that they might establish a kingdom unto themselves over all the land. And he also knowing that it was the only desire of the Nephites to preserve their lands and their liberty and their church. Therefore, he thought it no sin that he should defend them by stratagem. Therefore, he found by his spies, which course the Lamanites were to take. And verse 45, nevertheless, the Nephites were inspired by a better cause. For they were not fighting for monarchy nor power, but were fighting for their homes and their liberties and their wives and their children and their all, yea, for their rights of worship and their church. And they were doing that which they felt was their duty, which they owed to their God. And the Lord had said unto them and also unto their fathers that inasmuch as ye are not guilty of the first offense, neither of the second. You shall not suffer yourselves to be slain by the hands of your enemies. So you'll notice that the wars that God's people engage in are wars of defense. And again, the Lord said that you shall defend your families even unto bloodshed. So not only were they justified in fighting these defensive wars, they were admonished by the Lord to fight them. And that there are some things that are worth both shedding blood and dying for. And again, the Lord has said that ye shall defend your families even unto bloodshed. Therefore, for this cause were the Nephites contending with the Lamanites to defend themselves and their families and their lands and their country and their rights and their religion. 
And it came to pass that when the men of Moroni saw the fierceness and the anger of the Lamanites, they were about to shrink and flee from them. And Moroni perceiving their intent, and Moroni perceiving their intent would indicate that it was not only the sons of Mosiah who had obtained unto the gift of prophecy and revelation, but also Moroni. And Moroni perceiving their intent sent forth and inspired their hearts with these thoughts, yea, the thoughts of their lands, their liberty, yea, their freedom from bondage. And it came to pass that they turned upon the Lamanites and they cried with one voice unto the Lord their God for their liberty and for their freedom from bondage. And they began to stand against the Lamanites with power. And in that selfsame hour that they cried unto the Lord for their freedom, the Lamanites began to flee before them. And they fled even unto the waters of Sidon. Now, let's cross-reference. First Nephi, chapter 1, verse 20. And certainly, I think one could make a case that one of the major themes of the Book of Mormon is, But behold, I, Nephi, will show unto you that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. And the Book of Mormon gives us example after example after example of God's people in the face of overwhelming force being given victory, not because of their own strength, but because God made them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. Verse 49 and now 43. And it came to pass that they turned upon the Lamanites and they cried with one voice unto the Lord their God for the liberty and for their freedom from bondage. Because of their faith, God made them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. And remember, faith is not just belief. You know, belief and trust in God is hope, but that's not what faith is. Faith is is seeking after receiving and acting on revelation, which we must combine with hope. So we have to be combine belief and trust in God with seeking after receiving and acting on revelation. And this is what makes a people mighty even unto the power of deliverance. And verse 50, and they began to stand against the Lamanites with power. And in that selfsame hour, they cried unto the Lord their God for freedom. And the Lamanites began to flee before them, and they fled even unto the waters of Sidon. Alma 44, verse 1. And it came to pass that they did stop and withdraw a pace from them. And Moroni said unto Zarahemna, Behold, Zarahemna, that we do not desire to be men of blood. Yea, know that ye are in our hands, yet we do not desire to slay you. For Moroni was not motivated by hatred and revenge and to subjugate, but by his God and liberty and freedom and his family. Therefore, he was not a man of blood, but he was willing to square up his shoulders and do what was required of a man. And as the Lord commanded, you know, again in Alma 43, verse 47, 
This is what God requires of a man. And again, the Lord has said that ye shall defend your families even unto bloodshed. Therefore, for this cause were the Nephites contending with the Lamanites to defend themselves and their families and their lands and their country and their rights and their religion. Verse 2 in Alma 44. Behold, we have not come out to battle against you that we might shed your blood for power. Neither do we desire to bring anyone to the yoke of bondage. But this is the very cause for which ye have come against us. Yea, and ye are angry with us because of our religion. Angry with us because of our religion. In 2 Nephi 28, verse 28, Nephi says, and this particular commentary, um, although it has general application, the specific application is regarding the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints during our generation and the generation since Joseph Smith. And in fine, woe unto all those who tremble and are angry because of the truth of God. For behold, he that is built upon the rock receiveth it with gladness, and he that is built upon a sandy foundation trembleth lest he shall fall. The rock is Christ in Revelation, and those who are built upon Christ in Revelation Receive the truth with gladness. While those who are built upon anything else are built upon a sandy foundation and are angry because of the truth. And so were the Amalekites and the Zoramites and the Lamanites angry with the Nephites because of the truth which they declared and stood for. But this is the very cause for which ye have come against us. And ye are angry with us because of our religion. And now ye behold that the Lord is with us. And ye behold that he has delivered you into our hands. And now I would that ye should understand that this is done unto us because of our religion and our faith in Christ. Now, do you think it's a coincidence that Moroni would claim that their victory came because of their religion and their faith in Christ after we just read the promise of the Lord unto all of those, as it says again in 1 Nephi verse 20, that the tender mercies of the Lord are over all those whom he hath chosen because of their faith to make them mighty even unto the power of deliverance. And if it was true for Nephi, and if it was true for Moroni, would it not be as true for us today? Verse 3, Alma 44. And now ye behold that the Lord is with us, and ye behold that he has delivered you into our hands. And now I would that ye should understand that this is done unto us because of our religion. And now ye see that ye cannot destroy our faith. And when the forces of evil are likewise arrayed against us that threaten our very survival, will we be as true and faithful as Moroni and his people were? that we might also qualify for deliverance of the Lord. 
verse 4. Now ye see that this is the true faith of God. Yea, ye see that God will support and keep and preserve us so long as we are faithful unto him and unto our faith and our religion. And never will the Lord suffer that we shall be destroyed except we should fall into transgression and deny our faith. This is the perfect expansion of the promise that we read in 1 Nephi chapter 1, verse 20. And now, Zarahemna, I command you in the name of that all-powerful God who has strengthened our arms that we have gained power over you by our faith, by our religion, and by our rights of worship, and by our church, and by the sacred support which we owe to our wives and our children, by that liberty which binds us to our lands and our country, yea, and also by the maintenance of the sacred word of God to which we owe all our happiness, and by all that is most dear unto us. Yea, and this is not all. I command you, by the desires which ye have for life, that ye deliver up your weapons of war unto us, and we will seek not your blood, but we will spare your lives. And if ye will go your way and come not again to war against us. And now if ye do not this, behold, ye are in our hands, and I will command my men that they shall fall upon you and inflict the wounds of death in your bodies. So the mercy of Moroni didn't come from weakness. And it didn't come from a shrinking back from responsibility. The mercy of Moroni came from righteous power. And that he was a man who was meek. And even though he had the power and the ability to inflict the blows of death, yet he was restrained because he did not love the shedding of blood but he loved that which was good and that which was of God. And thus he was a meek man as Christ was. And then we will see who shall have power over this people. Yea, we will see who shall be brought into bondage. And now it came to pass that when Zarahemna had heard these sayings, that he came forth and delivered up his sword, and his scimitar, and his bow into the hands of Moroni, and said unto him, Behold, here are our weapons of war. We will deliver them up unto you. But we will not suffer ourselves to take an oath unto you, which we know that we shall break, and also our children. But take our weapons of war, and suffer that we may depart into the wilderness. Otherwise, we will retain our swords, and we will perish or conquer. Behold, we are not of your faith. We do not believe that it is God that has delivered us into your hands. But we believe that it is your cunning that has preserved you from our swords. Behold, it is your breastplates and your shields that have preserved you. And now when Zarahemna had made an end of speaking these words, Moroni returned and showed the weapons of war which he had received unto Zarahemna, saying, Behold, we will end the conflict. Now I cannot recall the words which I have spoken. Therefore, as the Lord liveth, ye shall not depart, except ye depart with an oath 
that ye will not return again against us to war. Now, as ye are in the hands, as ye are in our hands, we will spill your blood upon the ground, or ye shall submit to the conditions which I have proposed. And now when Moroni said these words, Zarahemna retained his sword, and he was angry with Moroni, and he rushed forward that he might slay Moroni. But as he raised his sword, behold, one of Moroni's soldiers smote it even to the earth and broke it off of the hilt. And he also smote Zarahemna and took off his scalp, and it fell to the earth. And Zarahemna withdrew from before them into the midst of his soldiers. And it came to pass that the soldier who stood by, who smote off the scalp of Zarahemna, took up the scalp from off the ground by the hair and laid it upon the point of his sword and stretched it forth unto them, saying unto them with a loud voice, even as this scalp has fallen to the earth, which is the scalp of your chief, so shall ye fall to the earth, except ye will deliver up your weapons of war and depart with a covenant of peace. And now there were many, when they heard these words and saw the scalp which was upon the sword, that they were struck with fear. And many came forth and threw down their weapons of war at the feet of Moroni and entered into a covenant of peace. And as many as suffered to depart into the wilderness, and as many as entered into a covenant, they suffered to depart into the wilderness. Now it came to pass that Zarahemna was exceedingly wroth, and he did stir up the remainder of his soldiers to anger to contend more powerfully against the Nephites. And may I submit that the times are approaching when those who have been strengthened even unto the power of deliverance by God will also conquer and extend again this covenant of peace, that if those who war against God's people will depart without their weapons and with the covenant of peace, they may depart in safety. However, if they will not, they must be destroyed. Verse 16. Now it came to pass that Zarahemna was exceedingly wroth, and he did stir up the remainder of his soldiers to anger, to contend more powerfully against the Nephites. And now Moroni was angry because of the stubbornness of the Lamanites. Therefore he commanded his people that they should fall upon them and slay them. And it came to pass that they began to slay them. Yea, and the Lamanites did contend with their swords and their might. But behold, their naked skins and their bare heads were exposed to the sharp swords of Nephites, Yea, behold, they were pierced and smitten. Yea, they did fall exceedingly fast before the swords of the Nephites, and they began to be swept down, even as the soldier of Moroni had prophesied. Now Zarahemna, when he saw that they were all about to be destroyed, cried mightily unto Moroni, promising that he would covenant and also his people with them, if they would spare the remainder of their lives, that they never would come to war against them. And it came to pass that Moroni caused that the work of death should cease again among the people. And he took the weapons of war from the Lamanites. And after they had entered into a covenant with him of peace, they were suffered to depart into the wilderness. 
Now the number of their dead was not numbered because of the greatness of the number. Yea, the number of their dead was exceedingly great, both on the Nephites and on the Lamanites. And before we continue in chapter 45, um, we'll take a five minute break. In Alma chapter 45, uh, starting in verse 1. Behold, now it came to pass that the people of Nephi were exceedingly rejoiced because the Lord had again delivered them out of the hands of their enemies. Therefore they gave thanks unto the Lord their God. Yea, they did fast much and pray much, and they did worship God with exceedingly great joy. And it came to pass that in the 19th year of the reign of the judges over the people of Nephi, that Alma came unto his son Helaman and said unto him, Believest thou the words which I spake unto thee concerning those records which have been kept? And Helaman said unto him, Yea, I believe. And Helaman said unto him, Yea, I believe. And Alma said again, Believest thou in Jesus Christ who shall come? And he said, yea, I believe all the words which thou hast spoken. Now, I have a question to pose. What is the difference between what Helaman is doing with the words of Alma and those who put their trust in the arm of flesh and trust in man? And I I would assert to you that there is a difference. And the difference is defined by Nephi, again in 2 Nephi 28. And in 2 Nephi 28, verse 31, Cursed is he that putteth his trust in man, or maketh flesh his arm, or shall hearken unto the precepts of men, save their precepts shall be given by the power of the Holy Ghost. So when one speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, those who hear those words are not putting their trust in man or hearkening unto the precepts of men or making flesh their arm. In fact, exactly the opposite. God expects us to receive and to treasure up and believe all words which are spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. In fact, Isaiah, in Isaiah 48 and 49, quoted by Nephi in 1 Nephi 20 and 21, says that one of the ways that we recognize the end time servant, i.e. Joseph Smith Jr., when he returns, is that he will speak by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost. And by that time, we better be able to recognize a true prophet from a false one. We better be able to recognize when a man speaks by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost because our very survival will depend on our ability to exercise that discernment. And yes, God does expect us to accept all words spoken by the power and authority of the Holy Ghost, just as he did Helaman from his father Alma. And just as when Nephi in first Nephi chapter 11 comes into the presence of the spirit of the Lord and the spirit of the Lord asks Nephi, do you believe the words of your father? And Nephi says something very similar. Yea, thou knowest that I believe all the words of my father. 
Verse 5, Alma 45. And he said, Yea, I believe all the words which thou hast spoken to his father Alma. And Alma said unto him again, Will ye keep my commandments? And Helaman was justified in saying yes, because Alma was a man of God. He was the presiding high priest in the church of the firstborn. He was a high priest in the holy order. And we read about that power at the beginning of our discussion. And he said, yea, I will keep thy commandments with all my heart. Then Alma said unto him, blessed art thou, and the Lord shall prosper thee in this land. And behold, I have somewhat to prophesy unto thee. But what I prophesy unto thee, ye shall not make it known. Yea, what I prophesy unto thee, thou shalt, shall not be made known, even until the prophecy is fulfilled. Therefore, write the words which I shall say. And these are the words, behold, I perceive that this very people, the Nephites, according to the spirit of revelation, which is in me, and remember previously that Alma and his brethren had attained unto the spirit of prophecy and revelation as they went forth to preach among the Lamanites, and that Alma and his sons also taught by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. And so it is significant that we're told that here, according to the spirit of revelation, which is in me in 400 years from the time that Jesus Christ shall manifest himself unto them, shall dwindle in unbelief. Yea, and then shall they see wars and pestilence. Yea, famines and bloodshed, even until the people of Nephi shall become extinct. Yea, and this because they shall dwindle in unbelief, fall into the works of darkness and lasciviousness and all manner of iniquities. Yea, I say unto you that because they shall sin against so great light and knowledge, yea, I say unto you that from that day, even the fourth generation shall not pass away before this great iniquity shall come. And when that great day cometh, behold, the time very soon cometh, that those who are now, or the seed of those who are now numbered among the people of Nephi, shall no more be numbered among the people of Nephi. But whosoever remaineth and is not destroyed, then that great and dreadful day shall be numbered among the Lamanites and shall become like unto them, all save it be a few who shall be called the disciples of the Lord. And them shall the Lamanites pursue even until they become extinct. And now this because of iniquity, this prophecy shall be fulfilled. Verse 16. And he said, thus saith the Lord God, cursed shall be the land, yea, this very land unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, unto destruction, which do wickedly when they are fully ripe. And as I have said, so shall it be. For this is the cursing and the blessing of God upon the land. For the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. And despite what many BYU archaeologists believe, um, the lands of the Book of Mormon peoples was not Central Latin and South America, but North America. And so 
Alma's pronouncement of the requirements to live upon this land apply equally to us as they did to he and his people. And if we, like them, break the covenants of this land, we also will be swept from off of its face. Verse 16 again. And he said, thus saith the Lord God, Cursed shall be the land, yea, this land, unto every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, unto destruction, which do wickedly, when they are fully ripe. And as I have said, so shall it be. For this is the cursing and the blessing of God upon the land. For the Lord cannot look upon sin with the least degree of allowance. And so... You know, I would also say to those who believe that if one is at a certain ascension level, there is no sin, that that is a false vein and a foolish doctrine. Verse 17. And now, when Alma said these words, he blessed the church. Yea, all those who should stand fast in the faith from that time henceforth. And as important as it was for Alma and his people to stand firm in the faith in their time, so is it with us in our day. That the very thing that will save us from the destruction that is coming in this generation upon us, the same thing that saved them will also save us. And that is our standing firm in our faith of Jesus Christ. And faith in Jesus Christ doesn't just mean belief in him, but it means belief combined with seeking after receiving and acting on revelation in Christ. That's what will save our people. That's what saved his people. And now when Alma had said these words, he blessed the church. Yea, all those who should stand fast in the faith from that time henceforth. And when Alma had done this, he departed out of the land of Zarahemla, as if to go into the land of Melech. And it came to pass that he was never heard of more. As to his death or burial, we know not of. Remember, what did we read? In Genesis 14, verse 32, and men having this faith coming up unto this order of God were translated and taken up into heaven. Now, one note about translation, because there are many who believe that they are currently in the process of being translated and I would say that is a false and deceiving and flattering uh, belief because it's not based in truth. There are many translation cults popping up all over, especially among the Latter-day Saints. And this is a result of lying and deceiving spirits that are going abroad in the land. Now, there are no shortcuts in the path of ascension. And as we read in DNC 76, um, before one can become translated, as Alma 
has just become translated in our record. One must receive baptism by water into the terrestrial order by the authority of Melchizedek priesthood. One must receive the ordinance of baptism, of fire baptism, of the Holy Ghost by one who has been ordained and sealed unto this power, the apostolic order of Melchizedek priesthood. One must be instructed and part the veil and come into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory, which is more than to see him in vision, which is more than to have him come down here. Um, this is described in Moses chapter one. And if we go to Moses chapter one, verse one, the words of God, which he spake unto Moses at a time when Moses was caught up into an exceedingly high mountain. Now this exceedingly high mountain was not an earthly mountain. This is the heavenly mountain that place where Christ reigns in the fullness of his glory. And Moses and Nephi describe this level of the heavens as the high mountain. And Enoch and Isaiah describe this level of the heavens as the seventh heaven. And Moses did not just see into the seventh heaven or high mountain. He went there. And verse two, and he saw God face to face and he talked with him and the glory of God was upon Moses. Therefore, Moses could endure his presence or in other words, Moses was transfigured. Now, before one can have this type of ascension experience, Moses has already received his baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost at the burning bush. Now, because no unclean thing can come into God's presence in his glory and remain alive. And since Moses was not perfect from the time that he received his baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, until now, he had to receive a brand new baptism of fire. And that baptism of fire had to proceed to a transfiguration. And once that baptism of fire had proceeded to transfiguration, then Moses was taken up into the seventh heaven or the high mountain and came into Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory and talked with him face to face. And it is in this state and it is in this place where Moses had his calling election made sure as we may also. And this is one of the steps required before translation. And the process doesn't start until you've had this experience. In fact, it doesn't start with this experience, but this is just a prerequisite. Verse nine. And the presence of God withdrew from Moses that his glory was not upon Moses and Moses was left unto himself. And as he was left unto himself, he fell unto the earth. Or in other words, after the transfiguration ended, Moses could not stay in Christ's presence in the fullness of his glory. And he had to return. And so he fell back to the earth. Now, as we read in DNC 76, after an ascension experience like Moses's, where we receive our calling election made sure. Um, the next pillar, and there are sub-pillars that are not mentioned, but the next major pillar is being ordained and sealed to the patriarch Lord of Melchizedek priesthood, or as DNC 76 verse 57 calls it, and are priests of the Most High after the order of Melchizedek, which was after the order of Enoch, which was after the order of the only begotten Son. And may I add in verse 56, these are they who come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of living God, the heavenly place, the holiest of all. 
These are they who have come to an innumerable company of angels to the general assembly and church of Enoch and of the firstborn. So church of the firstborn is attained to with the second comforter. Then the church of Enoch is attained to with the sealing of the patriarchal Lord of Melchizedek priesthood and then becoming a king and a priest unto the most high God. This is the ascension level where if it is appointed unto you and if it coincides with your mission, that that process of translation will begin. Because Alma had ascended to this level. He was a high priest in the holy order. He had had that priesthood sealed upon him. He had ascended to the level of a translated being. However, he was not actually translated until it coincided with his mission. Now, in our day, um, as we read, if you really read DNC 76 and you know what you're reading, one of the messages is that for those few who will ascend to this level before Christ comes in his glory, and although there will be many who will ascend to this level, but it will not be until after Christ comes in his glory, but for those who do, most of them will not receive this physical change until the morning of the first resurrection. And then they will be caught up with Christ and will descend with him in a cloud of glory. Back down to 45. Verse 18. And when Alma had done this, he departed out of the land of Zarahemla as if to go into the land of Melech. And it came to pass that he was never heard of more as to his death or burial we know not of. Behold, this we know, that he was a righteous man. And the saying went abroad in the church that he was taken up by the Spirit or buried by the hand of the Lord, even as Moses. Well, taken up by the Spirit or buried by the hand of the Lord is to be translated. But behold, the Scripture saith, the Lord took Moses unto himself. And we suppose that he has also received Alma in the spirit unto himself. Therefore, for this cause, we know nothing concerning his death and burial. And verse 24. But Helaman's people, Moroni's people, grew proud, being lifted up in the heart, in their hearts, because of their exceedingly great riches. Therefore, they grew rich in their own eyes and would not give heed to their words to walk uprightly before God. And next week, we will pick up again with Helaman's people and Moroni's people and the doctrine of Christ.